We are considering this amazing promise of God that goes something like this. Ask anything and it will be given to you. It says it a number of different ways, at least 12 different times in the New Testament. And pointed out last week that it's not just fluff. It's not just God-like saying something that he's not going to hold true to. Jesus even says, before making the statement, at least once, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, um, whatever you ask in my name of the Father, he, he will do it or give it to you. And so it's, it's as if he wants us almost to say, I know this is, seems almost too good to be true, but this is true. I'm telling you this. And um, I think it sounds great because I want to get anything that I ask for. And uh, it does kind of seem to, too good to be true. But I want to tell you all um, that after studying this for the last couple of weeks, um, I have found that this promise is actually even better than I first imagined, or even better maybe than it looks on the surface. And so I want to share a little bit of that tonight. Um, last week we looked at uh, two of four kind of factors that I think are important in understanding this ask and you will receive type uh, promise to us um, in order for it to take place. First of all, I said that um, God must hear us, or he must be listening to us, right? And we talked about how sin and when we cherish iniquity in our hearts, there's a, there's a temporary kind of hindrance in our fellowship with God, not on an eternal salvation basis, but God is, he, he's, not, he, he's not listening to those, we said, who aren't willing to listen to him or give regard to his word. Um, he listens to those who listen to him. So the first kind of portion of this, I'll just put list on the board is listen. And along with listen means giving regard to his word and actually and, and doing, like following through. We're not just giving him ear service, but like we're, we're actually willing to hear what God has to say on matters. And so um, we said that's important. If you want to ask and you'll receive, well, first of all, God's got to be listening to you. Don't expect to receive something if he's not. Um, the second thing is, um, that we mentioned last week, is that we have to ask all of the 12 verses. I'm sorry, I meant to have printouts for you. There's a couple there, but um, of all of those 12 times that something along these lines is said, and each one of them says this word, ask. And James says, you have not because you ask not. And there's, so we have reason to believe, hey, God gives to those who ask. And so I'm actually going to put ask as... The third um, factor, kind of here on the board, um, and there, there's maybe order is important, or maybe it's not, but it might make a little more sense this way to see as we go along. So, there's two more that I want to touch on tonight. Two more kind of factors, and really this kind of thrilling, exciting-sounding promise of God. And again, I think the result of all of it is even better than it sounds. It's even better than maybe we imagine it. So. Like, how can this be true, right? Um, the third thing I want to bring up, or the second part of this, is something that is is common to several of the verses that uh, that that make such a suggestion like this, and uh, they're all found in John fourteen through sixteen, 
Um, this is like the most concentrated section of scripture. It's right before Jesus is going um, to the cross. Uh, he's washed his disciples' feet, and he has kind of this long uh, monologue that he tells them just before his final kind of prayer, or one of his final prayers to the Father, the high priestly prayer. Um, and uh, so four of the 12 times we find this ask and you will receive type command in, in that little section right there. So we're going to focus in a little bit on that tonight. And y'all, I studied those, those three or four chapters, like 14 to 16 a ton, um, a, a lot. And um, that's, that's a big chunk, three or four chapters of scripture. And we won't obviously be able to go into depth into everything that those say. Uh, but I'm going to tell you what I found, and I'd invite you to go back and check my work on it and spend some time looking at it yourself. Any, whatever we study on Wednesday night, please follow up with looking into it yourself. Um, but in this section, three of the four times anyway, Jesus says, asking you will receive, and he uses this qualifying phrase. I'll just look at John 14, 13 and 14. He says it this way. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. That's from John uh, 14, 13 to 14. So the question, obviously, is, well, what does in my name mean? If he's saying, if you ask anything in my name, this I will do, or if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Like, what does that mean, in my name? So I'll just pose the question to you all. Do you all have any thoughts on that? Have you heard any thoughts on that? Or have any just one or two sentence kind of guesses on, hey, this is kind of maybe what in asking in, in the name of Jesus means. Because it's Jesus speaking, asking anything in my name. That's how we end our prayers, right? A lot of times we say in Jesus' name. I have some ideas. Like Anybody? it's in his power or authority to okay. do what it is you're asking. Okay, yeah. It's good. We'll, yeah. Maybe even like in his word that he's already spoken. Okay. Good. I don't know if that really makes sense. Like scripture, like this is affirmed in Jesus' name already. It's good. Yep. We're gonna talk about that. That's that's insightful and good. Yeah. I always think of uh, the Psalms and thinking about a lot of times when David will say for your name's sake yeah. like deliver or rescue or save your servant Okay. and it's almost like it's a um, it's an asking that comes out of a place of wanting to glorify God or glorify his name that whatever you ask is purposed for the sake of mm-hmm. giving glory to, to that name okay alright all are Yes. Uh, oh, I I saw your question was about that in asking in the in the name of Jesus Christ. Yeah, it also indicates that the God, the Father, mm-hmm. God has given all the authority to Jesus Christ. Basically, mm-hmm. when we go through Jesus Christ, basically Jesus Christ is the one who uh, I, I don't want to say that way, but kind of like authorizes our prayers and kind of like okay. makes the prayers happen in our life because there are the passages in the New Testament where Jesus Christ said that all the authority has been given to me yeah. mm-hmm. and that goes in the, in the gospel of Matthew chapter 28 and there is the other passages in the New Testament in particular in the synoptic gospels where Jesus Christ said that 
all everything has been given to right. yep. Jesus Christ. And then we go in Old Testament and Psalms that also everything has been subjected under his sons. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. So probably what it doesn't mean is like when we say in Jesus' name, that's like abracadabra. Mm -hmm. And then <laughs> it happens because we actually said those three words. Or, um, so there's three options uh, kind of that I've read and heard. It kind of lines up almost identically with what you all are saying. And, and there's probably uh, rollover in them, and there's some certainly some, some truth in all of them. They probably work together. I'll go over the three, and then I want to kind of have a, a summarizing idea of that. Uh, one, of the, one of the ways that you can take in my name when Jesus says, ask anything in my name, is what Mary Beth said and what Romans was saying, in, in my authority, the authority that's been given to me, or in my power, um, like if I if I am if I'm asking for something in Jesus' name, then He can He's the one that can empower me to do um, what what I'm asking for to get get what I'm asking for. Like Jesus is powerful to do whatever He wants, and so He gives me power to do then what I what I wish or whatever I wish maybe. Um, this idea of in my name being in my authority goes wrong when we forget the authority and submission structure that exists even within the Godhead with, with Jesus and the Father. Okay, so I'll explain that. What I mean by like authority and submission structure. Jesus, we read time and again, including in this John passage, um, submits to the authority of the Father. Um, a number of ways, just in these three chapters. Jesus asks things of the Father. Well, that's kind of a sign of submission. I'm asking you to do this. Jesus does as the Father commands, which is showing just submission to the will of the Father. He, he says, I speak only out of my Father's authority. The words that the Father gives me is what I'm speaking. And uh, he even says at one point in chapter 14 that the Father is greater than I. And so this doesn't sound like the Father giving Jesus the authority and power just to do whatever Jesus kind of independently wants to do. He's working, he's operating underneath the power and the authority that's given to him by uh, the Father. So it's, it's not the, the authority to do just whatever Jesus wants, it's the authority to do whatever the Father wants him to do. I read a, a commentator that said this, that this sounds good, Jesus authority rested with his submission to the Father. So, our authority, when we ask in Jesus' name, rests with our submission to him, to Jesus. Mm -hmm. To ask in his name is to ask according to his nature, and his nature is one of submission. So, I, I love that. Jesus' authority rested with his submission to the Father, so our authority rests with our submission to him, to Jesus. And so if you, if you are taking in my name as in my authority, in my power, it still means in submission to the will of Jesus, which would be the will of the Father, and it doesn't mean that we can just invoke Jesus' name for the power to do whatever we want to do. We're still in this authority and, and submission structure that, that Jesus even demonstrates. That's one thing. In my name, maybe in my authority, in my power. Another way that you can kind of read it and understand it is, um, in my name could mean just as my representative. 
Um, and this kind of uh, goes along with what somebody was saying. Um, this is kind of the sense that you get a couple of other times Jesus uses the, the term, the name, in John 14 through 16. Again, I'm just trying to kind of stick to, to this context, and we'll touch some other places in a bit. Um, um, so in John 14, 26, Jesus talks about going away, right? He talks he's going away. He talks about that a lot. He says this, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. So Jesus is like, I'm leaving, but God, the Father, is going to send the Holy Spirit in my name. Or you could say, like, in in my place or as a representative of me or on my behalf. I'm leaving, I'm giving you the Spirit. Um, it's similar type of thing in John 15, 21. Uh, Jesus tells the disciples, what the world did to me, they'll do to you on account of my name. So in my name is like, hey, on, in my place, in my behalf. They were doing this to me, so they're going to do this to you. So maybe it's uh, when you're asking in his name, you would consider WWJA. What would Jesus ask, right? Like in the <laughs> submission, I'm going to make a t-shirt. What would Jesus ask? Or how, how would Jesus ask? If I'm to, if I'm to represent or ask something on, on behalf of, of Jesus, what, what would that sound like? Like if you ask any, if Jesus could be saying, if you ask anything that I would ask, then the Father will, will give that to you, or whatever you ask that's in accordance with my character, the person that you're representing, this I will do. That's a, another option. I think that's good. Um, a third possibility is that Jesus, by in my name, is saying, and these are just what it's commonly, uh, a bunch of commentators I read, these are kind of some categories I've placed their thoughts into of what in my name means. And again, there's probably a little bit of, of, of truth to each of them, and maybe each one of them doesn't hit exactly what he's saying, but... Um, the third one being, in my name, could mean for my purposes, or for the purposes of Jesus, which is kind of similar to the last. Um, another commentator said, to pray in Jesus' name means to pray for things for his sake or in line with his purposes. He goes on to say, after the resurrection, the disciples will begin approaching the Father directly in their prayers and whatever they ask the Father, which is in line with Jesus' purposes for humankind and the glory of God, will be given to them. Maybe that's what in my name means. So it's important, though, if, if that's the understanding that praying in Jesus' name means praying for his purposes, so we've got to know what Jesus' purposes are. And again, just to stay in the same context, a couple of ideas of his purpose, John 17, 1, Jesus prays to the Father and says, Father... The hour has come. Glorify your Son. And here's a purpose statement. That the Son may glorify you. God, here's what I ask. Would you glorify me that I may glorify you? The, the glory of the Father is the purpose um, of Jesus there. And then you can see, even in our, whatever you ask in my name, I'll, I'll give to you, I'll do for you. You can see kind of pop out there the same idea in John 14, 13 and 14. Jesus says, whatever you ask in my name, this is the part we really like. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. That, so that, the purpose statement, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Same thing in John 15, 7. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified. That you bear much fruit, and um, so prove to be my disciples. So above all, it seems, or, or Jesus 
one of Jesus' greatest priorities is the glory of the Father. So if asking in Jesus' name means asking for the purposes of Jesus, then this promise rings true when we're asking for that which brings God glory. Okay. So I want to kind of give a, a summarizing idea of those and maybe try to wrap in my name up into um, uh, a different perspective that includes some of that in there. Um, could we read John 15, 1 through 7? Um, just somebody can read that, John 15, 1 through 7. So right in the middle of this, this focused section where Jesus says, ask anything in my name, I'll give it to you. Um, in these three chapters, right, dropped right in the middle of that is this analogy that Jesus gives that many of you are familiar with. Um, and, and this ends, verse 7 ends with that, the same promise. So uh, somebody just read John 15, 1 through 7. I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the world that I have, uh, because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch that withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Okay. So just to review, the vine is who or what? Jesus. Jesus. The vine dresser? God. God the Father. Uh, what would you say, what are the fruit-bearing branches? Believers. Yeah, believers, disciples of Jesus. How about the non-fruit-bearing branch? <laughs> Yeah, maybe somebody who even claims to be a disciple or claims to be a follower of God, but but isn't. They're not truly abiding in the vine, it seems. How about the fruit? Like, what's that fruit represent that this vine is producing? Spiritual maturity. Okay. Fruit of the Spirit. Okay. And we yeah. can go in Galatians chapter uh, 5, okay. 20, uh, somewhere in 20s, chapter 5 in 20s, something. Uh -huh. There is a, uh, Paul mentions... Uh, lights out uh, the, the fruit of the Spirit. Yeah, okay. Um, if you look at, at verses 10 through 17 of that area, and also 1 John 3, 24, um, it seems like the fruit has to do with keeping Jesus' commands, That's, which involves spiritual maturity, and it involves the fruit of the Spirit, certainly. Um, namely, loving one another. Um as kind of a, a summarizing of a lot of the commands. Um, good, so just a couple of things. I don't want to over-read into the analogy, but just um, uh, just to kind of go along with the feel of it a little bit. In, in vines, there is, um, and, and most plants, I think, there's, there's like a vascular system. I wish Jovi was here tonight, because he'd be into the... Um, <laughs> 
botany, is that right? <laughs> mm -hmm. um, there's a vascular system that has, um, there's tissue in the plants that have these more or less pipes called xylem and phloem that are piping nutrients and water to all the parts of the plants, namely the branches, but they're, they're moving nutrients and water through the plants. Um, in, in light of uh, kind of the, the context here, Jesus is going to leave, he's going to send the helper. I, you, you could say, Jesus isn't saying this, but you could say, hey, the Holy Spirit now is kind of the way that the, the nutrients are being piped to the, the branches of the body. Like we have the vine, we have Jesus, but we're actually receiving the words of Jesus and we're receiving what, what he has to give us. We're abiding in him as the Holy Spirit provides that to us. Um, what would you all say in, in kind of the vine analogy? What, do you, what is the, the vine, what is the nourishment that's being provided to the branches that's causing them to grow fruit? What might it be? The word? So I think that's it. I'll tell you why I think it's, it's, it's the word of the Father as expressed in, in Jesus perfectly and then as, as, as communicated through his spirit to us now, um, God's word. In, so the, the vine analogy is right in between these chapters 14 and 16, 14, 15, 16, it's right in the middle of that. And in those chapters, there's this, you'll, you'll see over and over again, there's this passing along of God's word. It's passed, it seems, from from the Father to the Son, John 14, 10 says, the words, Jesus says to his disciples, the words I say to you, I don't speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his work. Like the Father is doing something through me to speak to you his word. Again, in John 14, 24, Jesus says, the word that you hear is not mine, but it's the Father's who sent me. So Jesus is communicating uh, very clearly, and even in his person, he's the word of God. He's communicating um, He's communicating the word of God. And then in a similar way, the Son communicates the word through the Spirit. We see in John 16, 13 through 15. When the Spirit of truth comes, Jesus says, he will guide you into all truth. For he, the Spirit, won't speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. So Jesus says, he will take what is mine, what's mine as Jesus, and he will declare it to you. And then a kind of summary of all that I just said, Jesus says... All that the Father, all that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that the Holy Spirit will take what is mine and declare it to you. So there's this transferring of God's word, of God's communication, Father to the Son, to the Spirit, to us. Hopefully it goes beyond that as well. Um, and so here's, so that's why I think that in light of that common theme throughout those um, throughout those chapters of this this word being passed along of the Godhead to people, and then um, the the analogy of the vine and the branches. Here's here's the analogy. I'll give you the analogy, and then I'll give you the kind of actual what what it symbolizes, just to to be clear on it. So the say the water and the nutrients of of the vine dresser, he gives, and they're absorbed in this vine. And it's delivered in the vine. The nutrients are delivered in the vine to um, 
through the vascular system to the branches in order to produce fruit, and the end of it is it pleases the vine dresser that there's fruit on his vine. The actual, like what that actually stands for, it seems, the word of the Father is embodied in and spoken by the Son and delivered now through the Spirit to us in order to produce obedience, which glorifies the Father. Okay? And I think that's, that's just to give you a little bit of context. Remember the verses that were just read uh, by Clayton, that's the end in this idea of God giving what we ask for. So if, here's the context, and then I'll, I'll wrap this section up. The context of this chapter is talking about this passing along of God's word from the Father, the Son, the Spirit, us, and, and it's being moved around. It's the vine and the branches, and it's Jesus saying, abide in me. So that section ends with Jesus saying, our promise here that we're looking at, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. The three other times in this context that that promise is made, he uses the phrase, in my name. I think he uses in parallel here, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. I think that must have a really close connection to in my name because the start and the result of it is the same. So I would say a good description maybe of what in Jesus' name is would be with God's word as the source. And you, or you could say with Jesus as the source. Jesus is the word of God. So if you ask anything sourced in me, Jesus, the embodiment of the word of God, it will be given to you. God will, he, he's not going to give me something that's not sourced in Jesus, in his name. That would be asking in my name. Can you imagine if I asked God, Lord, would you please give me this in Jared's name? Amen. You know, that, no, that's not what he's asking for. That would be like trying to tell a dead branch that's removed from the vine, hey, start producing fruit. Well, no, it has to be nourished by the vine, which we're saying is, is Jesus. It's, it's God's word. And so if our nourishment, if our nourishment is coming from Jesus, if, our, if his word is like running through our veins, so to speak, He'll give us anything we wish. Or if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Um, so if you want to be able to get what you're asking for, pray in Jesus' name, but meaning with Jesus and the word of God at the source, abiding in him. And yes, that means maybe in, in his authority, though in submission, Representing his character, asking for his purposes, his glory. But the bottom line here is that we ask, being nourished by Jesus, who is the word of God, our requests are sourced in Jesus. And then we can expect to uh, receive what we ask for. So I'm just going to say, to summarize that slide, just because what, what we are doing that, you understand that's connected to just being being filled by the nourishment of God's word in Christ. Next, last. The final uh, kind of factor, there, you could add others. There's no, God doesn't say, here's the four things. Um, 
just some summarizing things, looking at all the times Jesus says this. The kind of final, maybe, category. We don't just have to be listening and, and submitting our lives to God, and abiding in Jesus, and asking for him to give. But I'll read three more verses that say something in common. Matthew 21, 22, here's the same type of thing. Whatever you ask in prayer, Jesus says, you will receive if you have, you know what it says? Faith. Uh, Mark's version of the same thing. Whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. James says this more specifically, something that we can ask of God. Let him ask God for wisdom, who gives generously, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in what? Faith, without doubting, for the one who doubts is like the wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. That person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. So this final factor that I just want to kind of draw out for you um, to make sure that we're understanding this correctly is faith or belief. And so I want to spend just a minute kind of talking about that um, and say just kind of two things about this factor of, of the promise. Um, first, asking in faith, put this here, I'm going to say believe, just so it sticks with verbs. Um, asking in faith and God responding only works, quote, unquote, if we're doing it in conjunction with the other ways that he tells us to ask. If God's not listening, if we're, if we're rejecting God's ear because we're not listening to him, we can have all the faith that we want that he's going to do something, but if he's not hearing us, he's, he won't give that to us. If we're not abiding in him, it doesn't matter how much we, faith we try to have, it's not, it's not going to occur. Same thing with asking and so, just firstly, just to say, faith and belief, it's, it goes in conjunction with these other things, okay? Um, secondly, I'll say this, like, what does faith look like? Well, it doesn't mean that we try to just conjure up enough faith to make things happen. Mm -hmm. If I can just believe, if I can cross my fingers and close my eyes and God just... I just want to believe, like, click my heels together. There's no place like home. There's no, and then it, it happens. It's not like something that we have to force ourselves into. We have to, like, well, if Santa's sleigh is going to fly and the reindeer are going to fly, then we just enough people have to believe, and then that gives the power. So everybody just believe. Clap your hands if you believe in fairies so that Tinkerbell will live. You all know it like that in the play. And, yeah. Because this world is made of faith and trust and pixie dust, you know? So here's how God describes faith. And you, there's tons, of course, you could say about faith. It's all in God's word. But in Hebrews 11, he's, this is how God describes it. It sounds very different than what I was just describing. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Okay? We put our faith in the certainty of Jesus and his work, and that he actually can do things because he actually done, has done things. Here's a good way maybe to say this. Faith means taking God at his word. It's not making things up like in my own mind and then believing that somehow God's going to do whatever I can make up in my own mind. No, it's looking at his word and believing that what he said is going to be true. So I can have faith jumping out of an airplane without a parachute that I'm going to be okay 
but except for the fact that God didn't tell me I should jump out of an airplane without a parachute. Like, that's not, we don't just make things up and then expect, oh, well, God told me if I just have enough faith, then I can do these things. Um, even if we're asking for something specific, like, like we have faith in things that are unseen, but they rest in the certainty of what God has promised. So I love how Nehemiah prays. Um, I brought it up months ago, but Nehemiah has this beautiful prayer in the beginning of the book of Nehemiah that, um, where he says, basically part of his prayer is recounting to God the, the promises of God, the, the covenant that God has made with his people Israel. And he says stuff like, hey, remember that you, you told Moses if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of the heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen. So Nehemiah basically says, so because of this, because you promised that this is something that you're going to do, here's what my specific request is. Would you give me favor in the sight of the king? Because what he's wanting to do is to, is, is to be a part of the fulfillment of what God said he's going to do in bringing his people back to the land if they would return to him. So because of what you've promised, God, I'm asking you to do this thing that would lead towards your promise that you've promised being fulfilled. Um, I mentioned this a couple weeks ago, a quote. Um, it says, this true prayer catches up the promises that flutter down to us and flings them up again like arrows. Like, God, this is, this is what you've said, and so this is, I pray this because I believe that you're going to be true to your word. I think that's the kind of faith that God's talking about. God, I believe that you want to do this because you've given me reason to believe that you want to do this. And um, we have to ask in faith. We have to believe, but not a faith that's in something that we've made up, but a faith in what he said. And how are you going to know what God said? How are you going to know what his promises are, but that we find out what they are in his word? I feel like the answer oftentimes comes back to the Bible. Um, so just in, in conclusion here, I want to tell you guys why at the beginning I said that this promise of God is even better than I imagined, or even better than it seems on the surface. Because it, it might seem like, hey, we're adding some disclaimers to make the promise less, or a little bit, or not as good. Um, so a couple of things on this. First, and I mentioned this last week, this is better because God isn't listening to our foolish requests. Um, if we're not regarding the word of God and he's not listening to us, then it's for our good because in our rebellion, the types of things that we ask for are going to lead to destruction. So it's actually good that he wouldn't give us things that he's not listening to our request in. God doesn't give us everything that we ask for on a sinful whim, fortunately. Does that make the, the promise, like, is that disclaimer make it worse or better? Well, I think it makes it actually better that he doesn't give us those things. Another thing is that God knows better than me what is good. Um, the Matthew passage that mentions this, uh, Matthew 7, 7 through 11, says this. Here it is again. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened for you. 
Everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks it will be opened. And he says, for which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Your son wants a good thing, but who is going to give his son a bad thing, a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, would give him a serpent? If then you, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? Well, what if his children ask him for a stone or a serpent? Is he going to... It would be like, what if your seven-year-old child, you want to give them a, a gift for their birthday, and you're like, I just want to give you whatever you want or whatever our budget can afford. I want to give this to you, so ask. I'll give it to you. Some people without like budget limits can do that. And so what if that seven-year-old's like, well, I love fire, so I want a box of matches, you know? Is because of the parents, the, the father or the mother, their understanding of what is actually good by their own appraisal, they know better than the child to give them what is good instead of something that is not good that they might ask for. So be assured, if, if he doesn't give you what you ask for, it's for your benefit. He wants to give you good gifts, not not bad gifts. And by the way, as we learn his word, as we're sourced in him, as we're abiding in Christ, we understand more and more what the good things are to ask for, I would say. Um, so here, here's the, a little bit why asking you or see is better than we thought, because Jesus has like safeguards kind of built into that. When we ask for something destructive because we're living in sin, he's, he won't, he's not going to hear that. Generally, we said last week. When we ask for something stupid because we think it's good, but it's really not good, he doesn't give us those. So it's much better than the blanket statement, sure, just whatever your little heart wants, whatever you want, you can have. That's kind of what Adam and Eve were wishing for, it seems, and it led to destruction. But instead, God gives these safeguards to make sure that what we get from him is good. But there's one more thing, and here's what I think kind of makes it all come together really beautifully, um, and why I say this promise is truly better than what I originally thought. Um, I want to tell you a theme that is kind of laced throughout Scripture, from the Garden of Eden to the new heavens and the new earth, um, and that's the theme of the, the presence of God with his people, okay? Um, we could spend a long time talking about how that shows up through Scripture, but I want to give you a snapshot of just a, a tiny place in Scripture that it's emphasized, which is in John 14 through 16, these chapters that we have looked at earlier. And you'll have to just trust me and maybe look up afterwards that this is actually a theme throughout the entirety of Scripture, it seems. The presence of God with his people. So turn to John 14, if you have a Bible. Um, John 14, I'm just going to kind of skipped through a few verses to show you this theme of the presence of God with his people, and then I'm going to tell you how that even relates. So John 14, verse 1. This is all Jesus um, in these verses that I'm going to read. John 14, verse 1. Maya, do you want to go and read it for us? There he is. John 14, 1. Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. 
Believe also in me, and listen to this, in my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. The presence of God with his people that, that Jesus is preparing for. Verse 6 of chapter 14. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father, the presence of God with his people, except through me, provided for by Jesus. Verse 16. Jesus says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit with us, the presence of God with his people, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, the Spirit, for he dwells with you and will be in you, the presence of God with his people. He says, I will not leave you as orphans. I'm not going to leave you alone. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. This idea of this presence of God with his people. Verse 23, if anyone loves me, Jesus says, he will keep my word, and the Father will love him. And we, the Father and the Son, will come to him and make our home with him. This desire of God to be, his presence to be with his people. Chapter 15, verse 3. Abide in me, and I in you. We won't repeat that whole section on the abide in me, but obviously there's a very closeness between Jesus and his people described there, his presence. John 16, 7. The disciples are concerned, apparently, that Jesus is, is going away, and Jesus says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away, for if I don't go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So I'm leaving, but I'm going to leave my, my presence with you, the presence of God of his people. Chapter 17, uh, verse 24, we'll end here. Uh, Father, Jesus prays, I desire that they also, that here he's actually talking about us, those who will believe based on the, the witness of the disciples. I, I desire that they also whom you have given me, may be with me where I am. You see, even in these three chapters, this theme of God's presence with his people and his desire to make that um, a reality. His, his, he does make that a reality. So do you see that Jesus has a, a goal in mind? And again, we could spread that out throughout the rest of Scripture, and with this section, this most concentrated section that we read, ask in my name, you'll receive anything that you ask. I wonder what some of his goal might be in that. And I wonder what's something that these four things that we've covered have in common. Listen or have regard for God's word. And we said last week, by doing so, our fellowship is unhindered. We have we have a more presence, more, more access, and more fellowship with the Father, the presence of God. Abide, remain connected to this, this life support of Jesus, the vine, he's the presence of God. Ask, what are we doing when we're asking except approaching the, the throne of God and, and, and coming to his presence to ask of him? Believe, 
what is faith but just like leaning into the promises of the word of God and holding fast to what God has said. So um, I'll ask you guys this. What do you think, what's the greatest thing that God could give to us? What's the greatest thing that we could receive from God? Of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, a.k.a. himself. God himself um, is, I would say, certainly, there's nothing that we would rather have than that. And so we, to kind of go back to what I was saying at the beginning, I, when I first started studying this, I was getting really excited because I'm thinking, oh, whatever you ask, you'll receive. That sounds really good. I can just ask for anything that I want. And I started thinking of all the things that I want. Well, I could get, well, if it's anything, then I could not just get this, but I could ask for this, and I could ask for this, and it just gets bigger and bigger. And I was excited to kind of go through and what are some consistent steps that we can take so that this promise can actually be true and so that we can actually like receive what we ask for. But here's what I've learned. In the process of asking, in this process, and him even telling us this, I am getting much, much more than whatever specifically I'm asking for. Because in this process, I'm receiving nothing less than God himself and, and being in him. So that's why I say this promise is even better than I imagined. Listen to John 16, 24. Ask and you will receive so that your joy may be full, he says. What, what makes our joy full? Well, Psalm 1611 says, in your presence, there's fullness of joy. When we ask, we, we come to God and we, we, we are in his presence, we receive a closeness and abiding in him. Y'all, the requests that I have of God, they're so, they're weak. They're like piddly little requests that I ask for. And yes, God's like eager to give us good gifts and he wants to do this, but what he gives us above all when I'm asking is this closeness to his presence. And he answers yes because he's giving us himself. And I'll end just by reading Ephesians 3, which kind of talks about this, a little um, doxology from Paul. Um, Paul says this, for this reason, he says, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now here, listen to this. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or imagine, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory, be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. So are you listening? Are you abiding? Are you asking? Remember who said humbly? Are you believing? If you are, y'all, it's going to be good for you because our Father is able to give far more abundantly than we can ask or imagine. And he gives us himself. Let's pray.
Father, thank you that even now in us, your spirit dwells. And um, <laughs> I forget that uh, oftentimes. And I sometimes take for granted the access to the Father, to you, Father, who um, that, that Jesus has provided, that you provided in Jesus for us. Um, and I, I take that lightly. But Lord, I, I just thank you right now that it is your desire that we would be with you, that you would be uh, with us, and that you make that a very real um, you make that a reality for us. And um, Lord, I thank you that you give us even this intriguing, uh, better than seems possible uh, idea to ask of you that we would receive from you. Um, teach us what that process looks like, Lord. That's an exciting command, but what excites me more than anything is that we would come to you asking and that we would um, draw near to you, believing that you hear us and believing that you want to give us good things. And this gives us a closeness to you, Lord, which is all that we could ask for and so much more than we could think to ask for. So help us to uh, live in, in this reality. Help us to understand more and more what to ask for, what is pleasing to, to you, what is sourced in your word that we can have confidence in, that you are desiring to to give to us and I I do ask this I, I believe truly that you you want to give us these things and so I ask in Jesus name